0: You're listening to the Dirty Dozen Podcast, episode 74. This week's artist, you too. Now it's song title story time. So cruel. In 13 seconds, the blackout turned Miami bad. From this elevation, I can feel the vertigo coming on. I feel stuck in a moment you can't get out of. Numb, like the fly stuck in wild honey. I pray to Yahweh for an exit since sometimes you can't make it on your own. But I can't stay here until the end of the world, or I'll die in a little while, like the drowning man content to breathe in the ocean. Still trying, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Is it pride that I walk on, or am I running to stand still? Wait, Gloria! I see a red light! Lights of home! Like I'm staring at the sun! The desire to move... One step becomes 40, light returns from ultraviolet, twilight gone, one step closer to peace on earth, rejoice! What a beautiful day in God's country, like New York on New Year's Day, and turning into a city of blinding lights, it's even better than the real thing, it's, it's, it's your host, Rob Heitman, The Wanderer, bassist Alan Campbell, and the mysterious ways of Grammy and Emmy nominated songwriter and artist, Stephen... (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> that I, feel like that. Good. <laughs> I went a little dramatic today.
1: <laughs> the
2: manufactured emotion was hilarious.
1: No, that was fielded. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Does that
1: just fold out of you or do you have to
0: like sit down and like, I literally, this is how it works. I, take the song titles, I just write them down and I start. I can get it so I can use less words that aren't song titles than words, other words that I'll use, even connectors. So it's kind of fun. I just see it and I do it and I just start writing. But welcome to the Dirty Dozen podcast, where we rank the Dirty Dozen or top 12 U2 songs while discussing their music and patting back a few drinks. I'm Rob. Steven. And Alan. Hey, I'd like to thank everybody who's been active and joining in on our conversation on Facebook. Though I can't thank everyone each episode, I'd like to give a special shout out to Jill Slusher, Dana Hennon, Kevin Keene, and Alberto Sandoval. Thank you for being active. So, guys, how have you been? Pretty
2: good.
1: Pretty good? I've just been like a dog barking in yeah. the alley. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Neighbor's dog is barking. Like. Dog has go. Yes, he does. <laughs> oh, so, Steve, how did
1: you first hear of You 2 Oh, how did I first hear of You 2 well, That's a great question. I've never been asked that before. When that first album, 87, whenever that, you know, the Joshua Tree, Joshua Tree. Okay. It, it definitely been that. Probably With or Without You, that was probably on the radio, it was probably the vocal that got me, and then just the simplicity of the driving song. And it sounded not American to me, too. And it wasn't, yeah. Very good,
2: Al. I actually remember hearing I Will Follow on the radio for the first time and wondering who it was, because they had a unique sound all their own, a very original sound. And there was a lot of passion and skill in the lead vocal, I noticed. And also there was an energy in their music, a kind of a focused energy. you not like a general energy like in punk, but something that was coming from a place of good musicianship and a solid rhythm section. That was the pulse of the band. And then as I heard more of their songs, as time went on, it just seemed to me that there was um, a genuineness there. Sure. An honesty. They weren't pretending. They were just being who they were. They're were putting themselves out there and doing what they do. Sink or swim. Yeah. yeah. And you got to admire that.
0: Oh, I agree. Even at the beginning, when they were still developing their musicianship, they had that drive and they had that determination from the get go. Totally agree. Right. Which was great. For me, I think my... I had this good friend of mine. Like, I was in Two Worlds in the 80s. I think I've mentioned this before. I was in the heavy metal rock world. And I had this friend of mine, Steve Hahn, who had, like, a cool Scirocco, and he used to drive around, but he listened to totally other music. And he got me into all of the more poppy rock stuff at his place. I'd heard War first. He played that around, and I liked it, but I wasn't going to buy the album. But once I heard... Joshua Tree, I'm like, I have to get that. Mm-hmm. There's just too much good Absolutely, on that album. yeah. So that's really where I developed my my love for you too. And over time, it grew and I followed it all the way through. The Atomic Bomb album was the last one, How to Dismantle the Atomic Bomb was the last one that I bought. Mm-hmm. I got one free the next one, <laughs> but mm-hmm.
1: that's a whole nother controversy. Oh so, yeah, was it the yeah. iTunes thing? Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I think we all did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I listened to it though. <laughs> yeah, it's good.
0: So, Alan, what surprised you uh, during the research of this podcast?
2: Anything? I gained uh, much more of an appreciation for the rhythm section of YouTube. 2
0: I concur, I concur.
2: Adam Clayton on bass and Larry Mullen Jr. on drums. It blew they're a- good musicians
0: it blew me away like with larry the drum beats he comes up with are so not normal yeah but he does it so well it works beautifully and i like you never really paid attention as much to the rhythm section and i was blown away by it yeah continue
2: mullen at times reminds me of ringo the way he brings a new groove or a new rhythmic idea to each song That he's going to do. It seems like these guys never approach two songs the same way. They can adapt themselves to the situation at hand and then handle whatever gets thrown their way. Different styles, different genres. They're tight. They play really well together. And I came to the conclusion that their versatility is one of the big reasons why U2 has been so successful over the years.
0: I agree. I don't know about you, but I'm getting thirsty.
3: Join me in a belt of scotch. It's 9.30 in the morning. Yeah, but I haven't slept in days.
0: Okay, well, what we're drinking today, we're drinking, it's you too. So what should we be drinking? We're drinking Jameson. And we've got several different types of Jameson.
1: So what are you guys drinking? IPA edition, yeah. Irish whiskey. That's whiskey finished in craft beer barrels. That's Remodel. what I got
2: too. It's pretty good.
0: And I'm drinking the cold brew now which is whiskey and natural cold brew coffee flavor. It actually tastes good. I wasn't sure what to expect, but I, I like it quite a bit. Like for breakfast, kind of good? Yeah, it's good coffee. for breakfast, lunch, or dinner.
2: <laughs> Reminds me of the Drew Carey show where they brewed Buzz beer that had coffee and alcohol in in the beer.
0: Yeah, because you, you have that flavor of the coffee in it, but you definitely have the Jameson. Jameson is a little more over, over the top. It's mostly Jameson and then cold brew but you can taste the cold brew in it and uh, you guys will try it probably a little bit later but it's really
1: good. It has like real coffee so it's Yeah, it actually has
0: coffee. I I thought it was just like coffee barrels or something but I just read it and it's actually coffee and I tasted it. I can taste coffee. It's probably like one-fifth cold brew and you know four-fifths Jameson. I think it's a good call. I Um, haven't had it. Worth a taste so maybe you can give it a A taste a little bit later. Mm. I just wanted to let everybody know that we're going to have something special at the end of the episode. So listen to the end of this episode this time. We talked a lot about us being musicians on this, and I'm going to share a song with you. Jake was playing drums. Steve was singing. Alan was on bass. Jason Weck is playing keyboards, and I'm playing guitar on a little track we did when we were playing live. We recorded us playing 40 by U2, and I'm throwing it on at the end of this podcast. So check that out if you want to hear us actually play sometime. It's nothing too tactical for me, but it's kind of cool that we did a U2 song, and I figured this is a good place to share it. Anyway. Anyway. Before we begin, we'll be critically reviewing the songs and share about 20 seconds of each tune unless there is a specific issue or criticism that we may need to highlight, and then we may do a second clip. We have made Spotify playlists, just search official Dirty Dozen and listen to each of our lists in their entirety. This way, all the money for playing tunes will always head back to U2. The way this works is we combine each of our lists into U2's Dirty Dozen or Top 12 songs, which will count down from 12 to 1. Nice and simple. Before we get going with the list, we'll each talk about a song that wouldn't be in our Top 12, but we'd still like to discuss. We call this our song of note. So, Steve, what's your song of note? Song of
1: note, for me, here we go, dun, dun, dun. is stuck in a moment. You can't okay. get out of. Um, but I just stuck in a moment is What what I knew it as. I was recently moved to California, and I just remember playing this in my Red Dodge Caravan, 1994, Red Dodge Caravan. Oh, now you're bragging. <laughs> and I had a CD player that I beefed up a little bit. And I remember hearing this... And I just remembered the honesty and the conviction of his vocal. Sure. And really how dry his vocal is. So you think of dry, the lack of reverb or the lack of shine and shimmer. Right, right. And it moved me when the lyric came in. And it's very soulful, very melodic. And the theory of I'm just searching for a melody. Right, right, right. uh, That rings true to me. That's just how I live my life, you know? And it's about Michael Hutchins. Right. Which I didn't know because I like to have my own little fence of what I see it as. But then when you do dive in, because it's an assignment, You learn more things. And I do think it deepens your love or your appreciation for the band. So just studying that, that they were friends and they had talked about some dark stuff, suicide and all that. And then he was pissed. He's like, wait, you broke our our pat. And then this song is going to kind of speak to that, but not in a a mushy way, but more in a guy to guy kind of way. But for me, it didn't mean any of that. There is a lightness about this. There is an unforced feeling about this song. This feels very natural to me, melodic, soulful, uh, and real.
2: Yeah, it's a good song. Bono's voice, unaffected, is better than other vocals affected at times. He just has that quality to his voice.
0: That's true. That's true. He, He absolutely has this. And all great singers, I find, have that ability to reach their emotion to the listener. And by how they sing a song or how they emote. And Bono is definitely that. I like this because it's a song about acknowledging fear and trying to figure out how to get through it. Right. This is uh, Bono in an interview with Rolling Stone. He said we discussed suicide a couple times and we both agreed how pathetic it was, and they kind of promised each other that neither of them would ever kill himself. Right. Mm. So that's to your point the dark you were saying stuff, before. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so this is an emotional song from Bono, and I can't imagine Mm -hmm. the pain. I mean, there's not a lot of people who can appreciate you in your space when you're as big as Bono. To have Michael Hutchins is certainly somebody you could, Mm -hmm. who's another sex symbol icon, bigger-than-life person, and to see him flame out like he did. Mm -hmm. i can see that emotion in this and that's some of the emotion you were talking about alan i I think
2: bono's ability to put emotion the heart cry, the human spirit into his singing i can't think of anyone that does it better than he does
0: okay let's listen to stuck in a moment you can't get out of steve's song of note Okay, that was stuck in a moment. You can't get
1: out of Steve's song of no. Yeah, and then if you guys go back and re-listen, which you should, is right there where we cut it, which we played a a lot. That was beautiful. At the well, well, they're only going to hear oh, just a little bit. They're going to hear twenty seconds. Okay, okay. well, we were rocking out in here, or we were listening to it at the end of the vamp last what 30 45 seconds of the song just when he really lets go vocally and you hear that real high vocal over the top and it yeah. is just it's amazing
0: no it's solid the dog liked it too yep. <laughs> so it's all good so alan my friend what is your song my of note?
2: song of note is from rattle and hum it's angel of harlem and the reason i picked it is because i've always been a sucker for a good pop song and as you two songs go I think this is as close as it gets to a perfect pop song. It was written about jazz singer Billie Holiday, recorded at Sun Studios in Memphis, which has quite the storied history. It's a fun song with a bouncy groove in the happy key of C major. The chord progression is catchy. The horn arrangement by the Memphis Horns is excellent. It adds a whole new dimension to the The song. The
0: Memphis Horns, like they end up playing on a bunch of
2: different uh,
0: tracks, especially around that time. Pretty much all the Robert Cray albums and Peter Gabriel's So, which was the big one, which they really stood out on, I think. And are the people behind Sledgehammer, which was such a massive hit. It's. It's great to hear them on you 2 as well. They're fantastic.
2: I don't know who did the horn arranging. If they do that themselves, I, I tried to find out. I can't imagine that they wouldn't. U2 is
0: definitely not known for its horn arrangements. And I'm sure that they're coming in with the Memphis horns. I'm sure they arranged their own stuff. The melody probably was designed by probably The Edge, I'd, I'd guess. but
2: Yeah. Bono's vocal performance is brilliant, in my opinion. One of his best. This song topped the Billboard mainstream rock chart in the US. One of my favorite U2 songs.
1: No, it's good too. I think that pretty much covered it. <laughs> I think the roominess of this record I really like. Yeah, yeah. The rawness of it. Oh. So like uh, a big room. Rattlin' Hub got a
0: lot of crap. I mean, the, for the movie more than the, the album. The album was really successful. But people were upset that U2 was not being Irish enough anymore and was trying to be in this American band going back to blues roots that really wasn't theirs so they
1: had a lot of flack for it but I like it it's a good album I like it's the sound a- of it sonically they went for it so yep. it was, I think it's cool
2: Yeah, I actually saw the movie at the Chinese theater in Hollywood at a midnight showing when it first came out oh, did which you- was really cool how was
1: that what was the experience was in the theater
2: for that it was great everyone in there was was U2 fans so yeah, nobody, okay. nobody was causing noise or any kind of trouble everybody was just totally into it it was really good good
0: good All right, let's listen to Alan's Song of Note, Angel of Harlem. Harlem. Okay, that was Alan's Song of Note, Angel of Harlem off of Rattle and Hum. So, let's keep it with Rattle and Hum as we go to my song of note, which is When Love Comes to Town with B.B. King and he played it. I just love the vibe of the song and it's actually a religious song. Uh, The lyrics are about the things they did before they found God, before love came to town. Right. When love comes to town, I'm going to jump that train, I'm going to catch that flame. Maybe I was wrong to ever let you down, but I did what I did before love came to town. Right. But you can even see later on when they do the last verse. I was there when they crucified my Lord. I held the scabbard when the soldier drew his sword. I threw the dice when he pierced his side, but I've seen love conquer the great divide as Roman soldiers there when Christ was crucified. So it's really interesting. Yeah. They met B.B. King in Dublin, actually, at a B.B. King show. He said he was actually nervous that U2 was going to be there, but he met them after the show and they decided that they need to go and do something together. And this is the result of that. And they finally met up in Fort Worth, Texas, when U2 was in town. They invited them and they said, this is the song we want to do. Let's go do it. And they recorded wow. a couple of the nights and it ended up being on rattle.
1: Home. And the vibe of the album, it fits. It really does fit perfectly. Yeah. Just Americana, yeah. blues, very American sounding as well.
2: I love the line where he says, I've seen love conquer great, great divide. divide. Yeah. That that's really sums it up right there.
0: And it's interesting that B.B. King, his career was not good when he did this. And since he did this, he had a great career post the song Mm -hmm. and he got a big audience who came and he actually toured with U2 for a a season. Wow. I didn't know. So this really jump started his career again. You know, obviously he had a great career up to this point, Mm -hmm. but it was kind of dragging and this just shot him in with a whole new audience. He became this icon. At that moment with Bono and u two when he sang this song. So I thought it was really important. Love and it. it. And it's one of these songs I've always loved. All right, let's listen to my song of note When Love Comes to Town featuring BB King off of *Rattle in
3: Home.
0: One thing I wanted to mention, I didn't before. Bono's like, in the beginning of the song, I gave it everything I had at the beginning. And then B.B. opened his mouth and I felt
1: like a girl. Yeah. (laughs) I just felt that too. I was like, dang.
0: All right. That was my song of note. When love comes to town off of Rattle and Hum. And now it's time for the main event. Well, welcome to the main event, the actual Dirty Dozen, everybody. And we're going to count down the songs from 12 to 1 as voted by Alan, Steve, and me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Surprisingly, at least two of us are on each of these selections, except for the first one, which is number 12. This is on my... It's not on my list.
3: <laughs> Steve, Steve, yeah.
0: it's on... No, it's not on your list. Alan, wow. this is on your list. This is off of the album, All That You Can't Leave Behind. The name of the song is Walk On. It's your number three overall, and it's our number 12 song on the list. So take it away, my friend.
2: People talk about comfort food. I think of this as a comfort song. Sure. It just has that feel good, uplifting quality to it. The opening chord progression into the verse lifts into the chorus perfectly. Uh, The music along with the lyric, becomes a musical exhortation to keep going, to persevere. And I just, you know, listening to this music for this podcast, these guys as songwriters are really good at chord progressions that fit the emotion in the message of the lyrics that are being sung at the time. I like the bridge with the understated guitar solo and the unison vocal outro gives it a sing-along feel. This song is really well-crafted, really well-produced sounds great, turned up loud, and it's firing on all cylinders.
0: Yeah, this is the first Grammy winner for Record of the Year not to chart on the Billboard 100. Wow. Which is just a weird sort of thing, and yeah, I think it comes to I do with that. what it was about, right? Which was about the Burmese dissident Aung San Suu Kyi, who protested the government and was under house arrest and won like the Nobel Peace Prize and all this stuff. This is all when there was that whole push about Burma and how they were right. treating and everybody, there was the big cause that everybody was pushing for.
2: And that's in the liner notes of this CD as well.
0: Yep. And she actually got out in 2010 and in 2015, her group, which is where it gets weird, her group won her, the National League for Democracy. It's Sun Keys National League for Democracy, won the majority in all the elections in Miramar. She took the position of state counselor and assumed the leadership role in the country. Okay. That's what they call the leader. And 2017, the military drove hundreds of thousands of Muslims into ethnic cleansing. She was kind of the leader when that happened. So this was a different view of her than what the song portrays. Bono said, well, maybe she was always a politician. She was not a saint. She was not some sort of savior. Or maybe we were wrong. And maybe we just need to accept we're wrong.
1: Which oh. no politician will say that, right. so he's not, That's for true. sure. It's people can be twisted and turned for different reasons. I didn't know any of that, but I'm just speaking out of yeah. what I just heard. Yeah.
0: And uh, Dave Stewart of the Rhythmics played guitar on this. Oh, really? Yeah, and Natalie Umbruglia added uh, some background vocals on this. Uh, really, the melodic solo I like a lot. And I'm not in love with the spoken word part. It just sounds like bad rap in the beginning. But the song picks up drastically when Bono, it's, it's when Bono better, sings. It's
2: better rap than most rappers, in my opinion.
0: <laughs> but uh, the vocal melody is great, and the chorus is easily singable, and re- because it's a repetitive walk-on, so yeah. it's like, boom, you start playing that, and by the second time you say walk-on, people are singing. Walk-on. I'm not going to try it. Well, I just did. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's listen to our number 12, walk-on, from All That You Can't Leave Behind, back in 2000, baby. Our number 12. Okay, that was number 12, Walk On. That means we're up to number 11. And two of us had it on our list. And Alan, you had, no, you didn't have it. You're the one, you're one out on this one. Uh, this was my number 11 and Steve's number six. And it's our number 11 overall from Octon, baby. Mysterious Ways. So, Steve, you can take the lead, my friend. Was
1: this 91? This was 91. Yeah, I was in LA. And I think this is the coolest record. I think that like Joshua Tree was their hot spot, their sweet spot. Mm-hmm. But this one was their progressive move. And you got to think about it. This was pre-grunge or maybe right at grunge. Yeah. So it, yeah. it, it had some it competition. Pretty, yeah. But I think it moved more into this progressive, al- not alternative how we thought of it then, but a Peter Gabriel a kind of more a slant to Yeah, it.
0: they definitely went. That's why they went to Berlin for this, because they had gotten all the pushback from Rattle and Hum before yeah. this. But this was a point where they almost broke up, and they were trying to write an album, but they were also trying to figure out if they could still be a band and do something that's unique and not the same thing.
1: Right. It was definitely slicker album. This was a step up. And I said the sweet spot was Joshua Tree, but to me, this album was another level. Sonically, it was a big leap. Absolutely. And and I remember this video, I remember in my apartment in North Hollywood, seeing this video and just being blown away. There was something beautiful about this darkness that's there. Yeah, yeah. Like a moody darkness, but then also this redemptive sweetness. It's like a constant that runs through in the midst of the darkness that made me want to listen to it over and over and and there's the
0: feminine touches in this song too, because it's about women, really, from a man's point of view, and how the women make their entrance and kind of take over the scene and dominate the man to some degree and how they get consumed by her mysterious ways.
1: Oh, I didn't know. See, that ruins it for me. Screw it. I hate this song. Put it number 30. No, I'm joking. No, I'm in agreement with it, but not the worship of that. I thought it was the moon the whole yeah, time, like yeah. in the early 90s. That's where it was like, they're talking about the moon because yeah. it's in the video and everything. Maybe that was
0: crap. I don't know. And the video, you know, the, the belly dancer in the video? Yeah. That's yeah, just wife. Morley Steinberg, not at the time, but they hooked up then at the video. So, Edge's wife moves
1: in mysterious ways. Well, not at the time, because, because he was married. Oh,
0: Edge's but, but, new wife. But it, it kind of fell apart, and there happened to be a belly dancer around. And, <laughs> and the cool thing about this, and this is a, a guitar thing, and just hear me for a second, he uses a Rickenbacker 330 on this, uh-huh. but he uses a 12-string and he pushes it hard and through the, the, the distortion and the delay.
1: And that's what gets it. Wah, wah, it gets So up. was this the birth of the Edge that we know now? But this was like maybe yeah. the more amped up version yeah. of it? And this was when he was
0: like trying every guitar to get that exact tone that he wanted. Mm-hmm. And he found that the 12 string just had that little extra vibration to it. And an electric 12 string is not normal. You try to play this without a 12 string, you don't get that Fair same exact. effect you get something close and you can nowadays you can probably get it really tweaking through all of the different digital effects you can throw at it but to get that feel that he did with minimal layers of effects through whatever amp he was really big on
1: the amp driving the sound a lot yeah all right so question when we're listening to this audience and us does this song still hold up as is 32 years later because my guess is that it will but, but, you could comment and let us know what you think,
0: right? All right, let's listen to number eleven mysterious ways off of a actong baby. Let's listen. Okay, that was number 11, Mysterious Waves. I just had one extra comment on that. I did, too. Okay, go ahead.
1: I'm surprised Alan, the bass man, didn't think, man, that bass line was so hypnotic. Also, my other thought, since I have two, was... I don't know, if it, I think it holds water, but in a very modern way. So if you would have asked me this question six or seven years ago, I'd say, eh, it's it sounds a little early nineties to me. Sure. Why? The drum loop, 900 well, other bands I mean, did that too. Know. But I think it does, but it definitely has that early nineties. I love that record. I agree. Digital drums are not killer album.
0: But one interesting thing I came across, it's interesting how perceptions can be different depending on how your worldview is. For example, there's this one line, if you want to kiss the sky, better learn how to kneel on your knees, boy. But from my point of view, that simply meant, if you want to be successful in this life, you better get on your knees and pray. That's from my point of view. That's how I always took it too. And knowing the writer of that line. But online, there's a lot of people who truly believe that that's a dig on the Catholic church due to the sex scandals they had with young boys telling them to get on their knees oh, okay. and perform sexual acts, that sort of thing. I think so, that's
2: all the pagans saying that. Well,
0: no, I, it is, <laughs> but it's interesting to me that there's like this two different interpretations of the same lyric and people liking it for different reasons.
2: See, I would have never thought that.
0: Yeah, I didn't think of that until I started looking online and that's what people are saying. This is what it means. I'm like,
1: mm-hmm. what? Knowing Bono, knowing where he comes from, knowing his consistency over all those years, No, I think your interpretation is correct. Yeah, I think so too. I'll ask Bono the next time I see him. Okay. Well,
0: I know you guys are buds. (laughs) Never met him. (laughs) I know. I met him in a dream once when I was asleep. That's all right. I believe everything. (laughs) Dreams are a, a slice of reality somehow. All right. Our number 10 is on two of our lists. And Steve, it's on your list. Oh, good. It's my number six and your number seven. And Alan, it's not on your list. It's the number 10 song overall, it's on Rattle and Hum, and the name of the song is Desire. So, I had it lower, so let me just take the lead. I love the feel of this tune, it's almost a Tom Petty feel, Mm -hmm. with Bono singing, if you will. It reminds me of the song Mind With The Heart Of His Own off of the Moon Fever. That's just the vibe I got from it. And I love the edge, changing it up, which he did a lot on Rattle and Hum. He plays it, but he plays it very percussively. Simple chorus, singable, relatable, and... Bono does the harmonica solo.
2: I love the harmonica. In da,
0: the song. Da, da, da. Which is great. They were inspired by The Stooges' the song "1969,"
1: right. mm-hmm. <laughs> which I think someone sent me. I should not even say. Well, it doesn't matter. Someone sent me th- th- that that song "1969" and said, "You have a song that sounds like this." Oh, really? And it was a it was a song that actually did something. And I think it's the exact same song. I didn't know that until yeah. I just until I until you just said it. Just the chorus. The easy to get chorus with fire, the innocence, the American rock and roll sound. But then I just remember this as a kid. I think this one played on the radio. What did it chart? This was number one in the UK, Billboard Top 5. Yeah, that's why. You can grab a hold of it real easy. And everything about this record feels American and right to me. But it still holds up and it sonically sounds really, really good.
0: And it's kind of interesting that the edge kind of, he didn't just change up. The way he played on this song, he changed up the guitar he played. He's playing a Gretsch White Falcon on this and it's really jangly and clean and it has that really good tone. When you Once you know that, you can hear it. I really feel for his guitar tech. I watched this uh, guitar <laughs> tech on him. He literally takes 40 amps on the road with him and he has like probably like 50 guitars. And Because he wants the same guitar set up, he has some different tunings, but he needs the exact year of the same guitar. And he needs the frets right. the same way, so they're paired and together. he needs the, yeah. the settings exactly the same way, and he needs you to hand it to him, even if it's a D-flat version or an E version or whatever version it is, he needs you to hand it with the dial set at the specific spots for that one and the chord associated with that he, he just has different amplitudes. He's an artist. So it's like an Edge show crazy. within the show. It's an Edge show but within the show. That's but crazy. I love it. I love it. The fact that he can get that fine with tone. He wants everything that every guitar he picks up to hit the amp with the same level.
1: I love it. I, that, that's, mm-hmm. the, that's the art.
2: <clears throat> There's a video series on YouTube called Rig Rundown. Uh, that's where I saw they it. They interview Edge's tech. And if you're into that thing, this is more technical jargon than you're ever going to want to hear. And just all the nitty gritty details of what he does with his gear. And he's, you know, his 73 Strat that had the original three bolt neck that he got converted to a four, four bolt, bolt neck. neck.
3: Just,
0: yeah, you it, know, it all the stuff detailed, like that. All right. Let's listen to number 10 song overall by U2, Desire, off a of Rattling Hum. Okay, that was number 10, Desire, off of Rattle and Hum. So, let's move to number nine. This is on two of our lists. Alan, this... Oh... No, <laughs> Alan, it's actually on your list. Uh, Steve, it's oh, not it on is? your list. It's not? It's mine. It, me and oh, Alan are on Okay, good, good, time. good. I was. <laughs> less it's, it's, Alan. It, Rob,
2: it's not a tragedy if it's not on somebody's <laughs> list.
0: I know. This is my number nine. This is your number four. This is of How to Dismantle an Atomic Bomb. The song is Vertigo. So, Alan, you can take the lead, my friend.
2: I love this song. It's the, only, it's, awesome. it's the only song you'll ever hear that's counted in with one, two, three, fourteen. Mm-hmm. In Spanish, of course. And C- there's
0: theories about that.
2: C- 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 that? Yeah, there's uh, several theories as to why that is. One of them was biblical, I, I remember.
0: One theory says that Bono was directing listeners to the Bible. First Testament, second book, third chapter, 14, 14 first. Yeah. And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent you to me. That's one of the theories. There's other ones which I'll talk about in a minute.
2: It's a hard driving guitar rock song, which is right up my alley. Catchy chord progression, lots of energy, great hook, Um, aggressive guitar and bass tone. It drops into a spacey sounding bridge to give it a little of an airy, expansive feel. And then back into the kick ass choruses. All the performances are spot on. Great production by Steve Lillywhite. This album came out in 2004. U2's been around for close to 25 years by then, and they know what they're doing in the studio. They're pretty much experts at doing Well, this is recordings. one of the hardest
0: tracks that I remember, at least popular tracks, The Fly, and a couple other ones are big. But this one, as far as the heaviness that yeah. made a big hit for them and the way they kind of changed their sound, if this was really good.
2: I almost had this as my song of note, just because of the heaviness just sets it apart from most other U2 songs.
0: No, but I mean, they played it when they were inducted to the Hall of Fame. So it, mm-hmm. it's obviously a huge song for them. Let me just make a quick note. There's two theories left. The one theory is that this is their 14th album. So that's why they threw that in there.
1: I thought maybe he didn't know Spanish. Yeah,
0: it, it, that could be it, and that's the third theory. Bono said, the lyrics were inspired by a vision of an
1: awful nightclub. There may have been some drinking involved, said that. <laughs> that, so that, seems, that rings true to me. See, I think for me, uh, the reason I didn't put this song is I just didn't like Bono's hair during this time.
0: This has been Fashion Moment with Stephen Petrie.
1: It's all about the
0: fashion, Steve.
1: <laughs> all about the fashion. I do think it is heavy, though. Just the driving guitar, and not only the guitar sound, but the riff that yeah. went with it. And I, with you, Rob, this was the last album I bought from them. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And the big thing that really pushed this one, this was on the iPod television commercial. Oh, it's and they yep. have you know, the Apple thing with all mm-hmm. the different colors and people dancing and mm-hmm. such. Uh, back when you'd buy an iPod. But it won three Grammy Awards, best rock song, best rock performance by a duo or group, and best short form music video. So, there
2: you go. I didn't like Bono's hair either.
0: (laughs) I liked that
1: he stood out. I don't it's know. The- <laughs> or his
2: glasses. I mean, they go all the, the way glasses around. Glasses
1: are okay. Yeah, they're, they're all the way around. Hair they cover ears the almost. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> the flat iron. What are those called? <laughs> you can do that.
3: That's good.
1: Steve, I, I, Steve, I, you would know. <laughs> I actually flat ironed my hair because people told me to, and I'm like, no, I'm not doing this unless I, you do it. You know, I'm not. I,
2: I read a quote from Bono where he says, "Megalomania set in very early on in u So
0: <laughs> I believe it. Yeah. Well, this is later on, even, so, but yeah,
2: it's... Well, uh, it was already there, Yeah,
0: so. No, it's good. I actually, I screwed up. I, I didn't do the straightening thing. I had really straight hair, and I got a body wave, and it ended up being like a perm, and I had a...
1: <laughs> <laughs> and I had That's that, what you're going to regret, and, and, saying. <laughs> and, 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 and I, I, I had long hair at the time. Do you have pictures?
0: I, I don't know if I do, of me permed out. We'll crazy. have to talk to your
2: wife. Was about it permed that one. in the
0: back like a no, mullet? No, it was supposed to be a body wave. It was supposed to give me a little wave instead of just a straight. And but you put it in way too tight and way too long. Oh my so, god! So I ended up looking like the lead singer from Anthrax, and I had the long hair anyway. It just went like all of a sudden people yeah. people are like what? What? what what what's going on?
1: Like, and yeah. no, I just didn't I just didn't brush it today. It sounds no. like it sounds like a mullet to me. And it's like
0: Rob got a perm,
2: <laughs> a permanent mullet. I got
0: hey, killed. Old? I got how old? killed. How? Old are oh, it was a like high school. Oh, uh, so I, got wow. I You gotta find a pig. You need to call your mom. Uh, I, have, I have someone with me in a mullet, which is always awesome. But is it permed? No, I had the regular mullet at first. Perm. But I, I'll, I'll see if I can find the perm <laughs> one. Uh, <laughs> my Invee mom's theme luck. All right, <laughs> so uh, let's listen to number nine, Perm or Not, Vertigo, off of How to Dismantle an Atomic Bomb. Okay, that was number nine, Vertigo, off of How to Dismantle an Atomic Bomb. So let's move to number eight. This is on everybody's list. Hooray! All right. This is off the album War. This is our number eight, my number 12, Steve's number 11, and Alan's number five. So Alan, this is New Year's Day. Why don't you take take the lead?
2: This song instantly became the anthem for every New Year's Day since it was released. I remember the first time I heard it, I really didn't know what to make of it at first because it was not a typical U2 song, but it became obvious that it was one of their best songs up to that point, and it became one of their most iconic songs. The first thing that jumps out at me is Adam Clayton's distinctive bass line. It's aggressive, it's driving, it sends the tempo and the groove. But I think, to me, this song is Edge's brainchild. It's all about his talent as a composer and a multi-instrumentalist. The piano riff is iconic. The guitar solo is brilliant. And he really shows off his right-hand technique, strumming and scratching like a madman, and always staying perfectly in time.
0: And it's interesting that he plays the piano on this, but he plays the piano with his guitar in his lap, and then he has to hit during, like, a bar, he's, like, hit, hitting some piano notes. Then he hits, like, some stained notes on the uh, guitar. Mm-hmm. Just, like, a long sustain, like, they, he can hold. And then he continues to play. <laughs> he <laughs> well,
1: needed the Telekeister. Yeah, he could have, right? right. Yeah. Uh,
0: Steve has this guitar that's a guitar, but also has a keyboard mounted in it. So, he can play piano and guitar at the same time, which would probably work good. It's interesting, in the video, they have, you see them riding horses in the snow. The Edge would later say that it was actually four women with scarves over their faces riding horses. It wasn't them.
3: (laughs) I would
1: never admit that. I know. And he actually played- Wait, did they not ride the horse? Were they even in the shot? No, they they (laughs) weren't.
3: It was
0: a long shot.
2: You can see them. uh, The the first bar of the song, the first four beats, you hear it, you know who it is. Mm -hmm. Uh, This was an instant YouTube classic.
1: This for me was probably a rewind loving Joshua Tree and all that and then coming back and studying some of their roots. Right. Warrior. And, and I think the reason I've loved you two all these years is for this sound. It is punk rock in nature to me.
0: Well, it's it what inspired them. I mean, they, they were inspired
1: by the Clash it and people feels, like feels, and it feels genuine. Now, Bono is too good for punk rock because his vocals are so pop in a way or controlled or thought of, but the place in deep in the belly of where it comes from is punk rock. He carried that throughout all of those years. And so tracing back and hearing this, there's something angsty and like, hey guys, we're going to take over the world with this record. me. And War was such a big album for them. Even the cover
0: symbolizes everything about this. Mm-hmm. The first album was Boy and they had this boy on the cover and then they had October and they were trying to figure out whether they wanted to still do this thing. And then war came out, and it's the same boy from the boy cover, but with blood, and he's matured. And, and he's the perfect angry, angry
2: yeah. expression on his face.
3: And
0: yeah, but going back to the song, the lyrics refer to the Lech Walesa Solidarity mm-hmm. Movement in Poland, and martial law was finally lifted in Poland on New Year's Day in 1983, which is what the song was kind of about that's why it was named new year's day and they were supporting a political cause which is not something that bono's been known to do no no this is <laughs> something totally out of the ordinary this is where it first started i think
1: i think it's weird how out of all these years just loving music how you can squeeze in a message through good music you know what i mean yeah, yeah. like for me I, I just like the way this song sounds. Like, you know, Alan was saying the guitar stuff, the drum, the angst, the roominess of the, the record, you know?
0: Yeah, and, and just the way he attacks some of the lines in there, the vocal line is great, and the soaring vocal lines is what just always makes it for me. In this. They're figuring it out.
1: Yeah. They're figuring out good craftsmanship this songwriting. Is, this
0: is Bono you know? as Bono as we know him, yeah, and this I is agree. where it comes from. This is This song kind of pushed into... Josh Retreat. Right. All right. Let's listen to number eight New Year's Day off of war.
1: Did anyone else hear the cure vibes in that too? Oh, very much so, yeah. Right? Yeah. So.
2: If you've never seen the South Park episode with Robert Smith, you gotta you gotta see that. It's all
3: Wow! Robert Smith is the greatest person that ever lived! Our savior! Come I have my walkie-talkie back now, please. No way! You gave it to us, it's mine now! Alright, I'll row shampoo you for it. Ready? Hey! Where's he going? Smith, thank you for your help. Visit us again. Disintegration is the best album ever. There he is. <laughs>
2: he's got, he's got the hair going yeah. out and everything. It's funny.
0: All right, that was our number eight, New Year's Day, off of War. Let's move to our number seven. Once again, on all of our lists. Right. This was y'all's number nine. This was mm-hmm. my number five. This is off of the Unforgettable Fire, "Pride in the Name of Love," which is our number seven. I love the edge of the guitar in the intro. And the stacking of delays that he does is so good. The verse lyrics are great focusing on Martin Luther King and Jesus. uh, Except for, obviously, the April 4th one, which he's just focused on MLK. He has more of an interlude than solo, which is kind of what he does generally. But somehow repeating the same notes that sound even a little dissonant, because he does initially... But he keeps repeating it, and it works. It's like you get used to it. Right. So it's intentional. Right. So you gotta get it, <laughs> which is which is the key to all that. Yeah. If you ever mess up, but Chrissy Hines from The Pretenders did background vocals on this, hmm. but she wasn't credited as Chrissy Hines. She was credited as Miss Christine Kerr. Edge said when he when Bono came to him says I'm going to do a song about MLK and. Bo- and I just like, whoa, 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 whoa. Do we really want to go and do this? And
1: then he heard it and he was like, oh, okay, I'm good. Well, yeah. For me, again, what what year was this? I forget. I'm sorry. What? This 84. Oh, yeah. See, I think it's ahead of its time. But then I think they got a lot of play with this all through the 90s, oh, too, yeah. right? Oh yeah. oh, yeah. And remixes and a bunch of other stuff. But to me, it's just a music guy. Again, probably discovering this one later. Just in the name of love, there's something about that. It's like that's an anthem for the ages, like that mm-hmm. would fill a stadium. It's powerful, so that's what got me. And in. it touches
0: two worlds it's a Christian and the social justice
1: sort well, of world. I, I think we need to speak the truth, and I think that's what Bono was trying to do. Yeah, um, and I stand with that. Yeah, and I do with too. him in that. And it takes guts and a nutsack to be able to do that. Well, the conviction that he stood by is commendable. And the song holds water. It's in our top 10. Yeah. And Bono
0: says it's the most successful pop song they've ever written.
2: So There you yeah. go. Well, like you said, the song is about Martin Luther King. And apparently Bono wasn't happy with the original lyrics and wanted to change them. But producers Brian Eno and Daniel Lenoir talked him out of it saying that the lyric worked on an impressionistic level. So he left it the way it is, which isn't entirely accurate. Martin Luther King wasn't shot in the morning. It was in the evening. In the
0: evening, and he changes that live by the way. Yeah. the bottle knows he messed up.
2: The breakdown section of the song and the bridge are musically beautiful. Bono is really going for it with the vocal. He puts a ton of feeling into it, and the sing-along "Whoa, whoa, whoa" part draws the listener in to participate. I always find myself singing along when I hear this song.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: I find that with a lot of YouTube generally, yeah. Like in the choruses, the way they have them structured, they're not really overly complex. Mostly
1: anthem, all about anthem. the anthem. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so it's a crowd, crowd participation, the perfect stadium the worship, sort of band, the worship element.
0: Yeah, yeah. This is pride in the name of love. Right, number seven, off of The Unforgettable Fire. Let's take a listen. Love, 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 All right, that's number seven, Pride in the Name of Love, off of The Unforgettable Fire. Now let's move to our top six, the top half of this baby. And this is off of War. This is once again on Everybody's. This is Steve's number 10. And this is number eight. And my number four. Wow. Sunday Bloody Sunday. I love the drum beat in the intro. Pretty much throughout the song, really. And the arpeggiated chords kind of lift the song up. And Bono sings... The inflections he has in that, that's great. The chorus is instantly singable because they only sing the title really. Sunday, bloody Sunday. He has like an electric violin who plays with this, makes the sound unique in their catalog. Yeah. And the background vocals really, really lift this, especially in the chorus. During the solo, plays most of the solo on the B string, but he's hitting the B and the open E. So there's a little bit of dissonance, but it's also fattening it up a little bit. Yeah. And it has that little, I guess, a little Far far East sort of vibe in in there. Yeah, There's two Bloody Sundays in Irish history. This is mostly about, in 1972, British paratroopers killed 11 Irish citizens at a civil rights protest in Derry, North Ireland. And in 1920, at a football match, British troops fired into the crowd because their agents were killed who were investigating the IRA at the time. Oh, boy. So it it was really not a good thing. And Bono initially wanted to condemn the IRA because the IRA was just bombing all over the place. And he was seeing that every day. And Bono reacts emotionally to what's going on. Right. Yeah. So he was going to initially condemn them. But then he decided that both sides needed to end the war and tried to take a, a peace point of view on it. And they actually played at Croke Park, which is where the football match occurred in 1920.
1: A couple times, so
0: that was kind of a big thing.
1: I would like to ask Bono, out of all these years of being in tune with culture and where things are, where things are going, where things have been, did it work? Maybe it's proof that it worked by us doing a podcast, but then you also have the pop or the rock element of making music for record companies and, and radio and whatever, but it seems like if you were to do it that way, that you wouldn't have regrets of being an idiot with a, whatever lyrics could be about, you know, but to, to look back on your career and your grandkids see what you wrote and they're like, my grandpa was a badass.
2: Well, I have had a love-hate relationship with this song. And the reason why is because I lived in a second floor apartment and our balcony looked out over an alley. And on the other side of the alley from us was a garage that belonged to the house on the next street over. And one spring that we lived there, every Sunday afternoon, some guys would get together in this garage and jam. Loud. And they would try to play Sunday Bloody Sunday.
3: <laughs>
2: and they annihilated it every time. They just butchered it beyond belief. And then they'd play it again. And again. And again. And again. Well, you want and them to I, get better, right? I'm all for rehearsing until you get it right, but they never got it right. <laughs> this went on for weeks. It was painful to listen to for, for my wife and I in that apartment. It was not Sunday, Bloody Sunday. It's, it was Sunday, Let's Not Be Home on Sunday.
3: <laughs>
2: oh, no, I get it. But this is one of u two's most iconic songs. It's raw, as musically raw as the subject matter Bono is singing about. It's aggressive, it's angst-ridden, the vocal is passionate, the lyrics are stark and in your face. This one line gets me, trenches dug within our hearts, Yeah, describes it perfectly. What insight and truth in that one line. Bono is a great lyricist, he really has a way with words. The live versions have tons of energy, which is great, but the violin in the studio version I think makes the song. This has got to be on this list, of course.
0: Yep. The Sunday Bloody Sunday, our number six. Let's go. Well,
3: All
0: right, that was number six, Sunday Bloody Sunday. Really good. Now let's move to five, which is only on two of our lists. Mm. Somebody had this off their list. This was not on my list. Hmm. This was Steve's number five, and Alan's number one song, Beautiful Day off of All That You Can't Leave Behind. So Alan, take it away.
2: In my opinion, this song is some of U2's best songwriting. From the start, it puts more of an emphasis on Edge's keyboard skills than most U2 songs. And I love what he's doing on the keys, the different textures he's getting. It's a big part of their sound in this song. But his guitar is in there too, and he's doing some really great riffing. But listen to the harmony vocals. They're really bringing it in this song. Beautiful background harmonies all through the song, and you can really hear the Irish influence in the vocal arrangements. The way the song starts, being dynamically down in the verses, and then the band kind of crashes in at the first chorus, works really well. I love the energy in the song. There's a spacey bridge and then Edge's guitar and Adam's driving bass. Keep it going all the way to the end. Just tasty rock and roll.
1: I remember driving down the 5 in my 1994 Dodge Caravan, Red. Like Jake. Once again bragging. How can you brag about a caravan?
0: That's the point. I'm trying to be funny.
1: (laughs) The one thing I love about U2 records is the way they're mastered. So in mastering, you would have the smiley EQ, right? All the old school guys know what the EQ looks like. If you look and analyze a U2 record, it's the opposite of a smiley EQ. It's a rainbow. It's a rainbow. Nice. The magic of U2 lives in the mid-range. That 94 Dodge Caravan was perfect. It was a match made in heaven. And I remember driving to my... um... Because there were no subs and there were no tweeters. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) They were blown to smithereens. It sounded amazing. So had that record... The CD, driving to work at Maria's Italian Kitchen in Encino. Oh,
2: nice. Now I'm getting hungry.
1: And this song, and I just remember that kick, the kick on the song that drove the verses. And everything about this song to me just lit me up. It made me excited. It made me happy. It made me thankful. I counted my blessings. I was happy to go to work. A crappy job, which I actually enjoyed. A new era in my life moving from Oklahoma, big dreams in my heart, and to just take what I had and be thankful for it. And to me, it was like an anthem for me at that time. It was this and a Delirious album, which sounded a lot like it. So that's why I connected this song.
0: Well, the band was under pressure when they did this, because after pop- (laughs) They were like, we
1: suck. No, (laughs) no,
0: but the label head, uh, Jimmy Ovine said, unless I hear a good single, I'm not gonna let you release another album. And this was that single. Yeah. Michael Stipe said, I wish I'd written it.
1: And they know everybody it, and they know hurts, it. but on and album, it makes me
0: angry. I didn't write it. That's yeah. what he
1: says. Yeah, I agree.
0: And it's interesting on the cover, you'll notice they're in the, an airport, right? And there's a clock on the wall and it says J three, three point three, which is Jeremiah th- chapter 33, verse three. Calls this to, crap up? Call on to me and I will answer you that that's what he actually put on the clock on the cover. So you don't normally look at it because of the detail, but Bono decided to put it on there. So it was specifically why he put it on there. So it wasn't like something somebody's interpreting, but they literally put it on the cover. What is it again? It says, uh, J33, three, which is Jeremiah 33, three. Call on to me and I will answer you. So, all right. So. I'm with you.
2: I was just looking at that today, and I didn't see that.
0: Yeah, okay, it's right there on the left of the album cover for All That You Can't Leave Behind. You'll see it.
2: Anyway, let's listen
0: to number five, Beautiful Day, off of All That You Can't Leave Behind. Here we
3: go.
0: Okay, it was number five, Beautiful Day. Indeed. It's a great song. Great song. And inspired by the pastor who uh, pastored the Hells Angels. It's pretty interesting. But anyway, talking about pain as the evidence of life because it reminds you that there are things in your life that aren't right. So you should be thankful and really celebrate every day because there's so much to live for, which I think is a great <laughs> message. That even if you're in pain, there's just so much to live for. And a lot of people are in pain and... At that point is the moment that they think of committing suicide or doing something crazy and you have to appreciate what you have even though you're in pain for what you don't or what you're struggling with, or it's health or money or love or whatever it is. Always remember that God kinda has you and I think that's sort of the message.
2: But bring there's, it a, on. there's yeah. another side. Yeah. There there's there's a exit. Yeah. There's a, to the suffering that you're in now. Yeah.
1: So that's good stuff. That's not wonder if the pastor was like, hey guys, maybe you should change your name. (laughs) When I think of the pastor of the hell's angels, I just think, Satan?
3: (laughs) (laughs) Can it be Satan?
1: (laughs) No, that's literally what I thought. I was like, wait, okay. I'm Uh, the
0: the pastor of the Hell's Angels who said
3: Bow down before (laughs) the (laughs) <laughs>
0: anyway alright that was number five beautiful
2: <laughs> well if, if, if I'm gonna pastor of the Hells Angels you gotta change your name to the Heavens Angels or something
1: it's the Heavens devil. dude I'm so mad at my daughters I have a I call it my fishing jacket and it's like those old 80s jackets in silver with like the little stripes on the sleeves you well know? like a like, members only jacket n- but it's lame, it's like shiny yeah, shiny yeah, 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 silver yeah, yeah. and yeah. on the back it says highway to heaven <laughs> and it was my fishing jacket I had like I like, thought you were like tuna a, blood a on to the jacket Wasn't that a TV show Weren't you just like I don't know fam? Maybe it was I, I found it at a thrift store But it was my favorite Every time I'd go fishing Off the coast I would wear that jacket And get blood on it And whatever yeah. It was They lost it They lost my jacket oh, I'm no. sure it's in probably Some thrift store somewhere Yeah
2: for the fish that you caught It was the highway to death That's true That's right.
1: Into my belly
2: <laughs>
3: Get in my belly!
1: Right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right, anyway. All right, let's move into the top four. All right. Let's hit a Woo-hoo. Joshua Tree one on this. Why don't we do that? Uh, this is on two of our lists. This is my number three. This is This is Steve's number one. Oh, and oh. Alan didn't even have it on his list. With or without you off of the Joshua Tree.
2: Oh, I get to take a break
1: now. <laughs> so, Steve, why don't you take us off here? Well, first of all, let's just... Think of why this wasn't on Alan's <laughs> list, and we could just comment about why, all the different reasons. No, I'm joking. Well, I'm not joking, but Alan's my friend, so I want to be good. But the intro to this, yeah. the way the bass line is, simple chords, the infinite
0: guitar is freaking it, awesome.
1: It's the, the everything about this song is might be one of my top five songs of all time. of any band any era whatever i kind of didn't want to dive into the nitty-gritty of it because i have it in my mind and the way i hear it when it comes on the radio which you still hear i'm like girls you gotta hear this you know my daughter you gotta hear this and they know it they know it but i'm like you gotta hear it again and i turn it up and it sounds amazing like it still sounds current and real
0: i can see totally you loving it because it's the vocal Melody in his song was fantastic. He even oscillates with the whoa, 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 when he does that. The oscillation in his voice and the building as the song goes on, it's stacking and the emotion and the vocal performance. We take everything else aside. For you, I can see it.
1: And I Can't Live With or Without You is the story of life. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like love and hate, heaven and hell. All those things, black and white, we're caught in the middle of all of it. There was something I heard years ago about when God comes into the room, that's when the songs get special. Mm -hmm. And I think God definitely was in the room when this song came out.
0: Yeah. Now, this is a fantastic song and uh, very operatic a little bit, but really, really good. Ed says the end of With or Without You would have been so much bigger, so much more of a climax, but there is this power to it. Which I think is even more potent when I yeah. held it back. holds right here. It holds. Yeah, held back on yeah. purpose.
1: Yeah, and he I used agree. this thing
0: called the Infinite Guitar, which was created for by a friend of his, Michael Brook, and it's replacing a pickup on the guitar with a magnetic device that vibrates the string. Think of well, an It looks like an Ebo. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But it's not an Ebo. Let's have Daniel Lemoine, who was one of the producers. Describe it Because he'll do it Much better than I can
3: I go to Ireland To work with you too Yeah And
2: my uh, Scientist Inventor Friend of uh, Michael Brooks Who's a Canadian guy Right
1: Builds the infinite Sustain guitar With Duncan pickups He treats the back pickup Like a speaker
3: Oh okay Yeah So he He
1: drives it
2: he sends power to it, and it tries to be a speaker, and puts signal back into the
1: strings, then picked up by the front pickup, and you get a loop. Oh, that's cool. That's yeah. it. History. It's right there.
3: History. I mean, right. Those
1: are, I mean, and that was a massive hit, the uh, With or Without You, the YouTube hit. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That wasn't an Ebo? It was that guitar? Yep,
2: That's the guitar that I just described to you.
1: I've always thought it
2: was an Ebo. No way, man. That's not an Ebo.
0: It's really an interesting thing, and it just—he was fooling around with it, and they were playing the song, and everybody said, "Wait, wait, wait! Play that! Play that! Play that here!" And they pulled him into the room, and he ended up using
1: that guitar on it, and he got kind of sucked in with it. Chord progression too is very basic. Yes, it's almost like a Tom Petty thing where you can have this, those chords just kind of roll, and having him just write a melody that just keeps going and going and right, going. Right and any band in the world could play this yep. you know they could they would be a cheaper version of it but you could play it yeah you know speaking
2: of bono's vocal ability to me in many of their songs it sounds like he lives in the top half of his range where maximum expression exists for him and i was wondering if you could speak to that Stephen, as of you know being a vocalist yourself What is he doing there? And is he pushing his voice or does it just sound like he's pushing his voice? He is. But he's getting the maximum passion out of his voice.
1: That's his money range. So that's where Bono is Bono. Now he's stuck in that zone, but that's where the money is. That's where the magic is. So it's a head voice. And then, and like Robert said, that there's some opera, but it's the falsetto. Yeah. So he definitely goes into his wide open falsetto, but it's that head voice that's there. That's what yeah. it's nasally even. But then he's also to use his throat to clamp on it to add the 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 grit, if you will. Right. Right. So you have the nasal, the grit in the throat, just the high head voice, the passion, the way he feels things. You can tell he wrote the lyrics. But then he lives in that and range. Yeah, he just lives in that range. That's what makes it pop.
0: And it's really interesting. I think with any other band, it may not be as powerful a singer. But in, in U2, just on the dynamics of range, where they're playing on the EQ spectrum, if you will, that the bass is always up front, and that's taking up that lower range. So you can't even touch that. And the mid-range tends to be more where the edge is, as opposed to most guitarists, which is up high. So, he's able to take that high pushing falsetto voice, which will cut through so well up high. And plus, people like to hear when your vo- voice is strained because it's the, it becomes emotive just
1: generally. It, it takes so much effort to get yeah, it out. It yeah. has emotion no matter yeah. what words you're right. singing. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Right, right. <laughs>
0: I like Fruity Pops. When,
1: no, no. Fruity Pops. The, killer, the, the killers, The killers, uh, Brandon Flowers, he lives in that range too. Right. I love the album cover. Of Joshua Tree, yeah, it, and it makes me want to just go there all the time because I have the the moto camping or even in the RV, and it's yeah, yeah. always like Joshua Tree. I want to go. It, I don't know. That's just like a little personal thing, yeah. but um, and there are tons of Joshua trees everywhere out here yeah. where we yeah. live. And, but,
0: we- they, but they won't tell you where that Joshua Tree was because it was really weird because Joshua Trees usually cluster. And the Joshua tree in the photo, they found one on its own, which you can hardly find. And then they took the photo of it. And that's why it became- mm,
2: that we came. That's fun. Yeah, we camped there one time and uh, went to sleep in our tent one night and woke up. And looking at the stars, the wind had come up and blown the tent away.
3: <laughs> and we would just sit
2: our sleeping bags on the ground just go, okay, what happened to the tent? It's somewhere around here. <laughs>
1: I think it was ghosts. I love it. (laughs) I think I'm gonna go to Joshua Tree before it gets too hot, because it gets hot out there. Oh, I'm sure it does.
0: All right, let's listen to number four with or without you off of the Joshua Tree. It's my number number one. Yes, but it's number four overall. Here we go. Okay, that's number four, With or Without You. Now we're in the top three. Once again, everybody has all the songs for the rest of the way. The next one is one off of Octung Baby. This is my 10,
1: Alan's six, and Steve's two. Yeah.
3: Creek
0: tune though, so.
1: Yeah, all right, for me, this has a double punch for me. I do remember the video. Did not they have a buffalo for a video on one of them? And yes, it was just had like. Yes, they did, a buffalo running in the field, it was yeah. boring. It was boring yeah and then they had another on one in a bar oh. and they had another one in europe only oh. where, where they were in drag oh yeah i wouldn't have liked that one either but the <laughs> bar one i thought was cool because he he was at a bar i think he was smoking the whole time it was the cigarette yeah he was kind of looking down. at the cigarette yeah i, I like that i thought that was cool all right so i loved the song as a 17 year old whatever i was 16 70, i was in la i lived in north hollywood pop band you know i'm in the music and this song was unbelievable to me it shook my world as much as a 17 or 18 year old could like it you know it's like meant something and then always have loved it because of that sure yeah and then in around 2015 i had to go to therapy okay because i had some life problems i would go every week and my therapist gave me an assignment and he wanted me to listen to the song by U2 called One. Really? And I said the same thing. Really? You know that song? <laughs> you know, because they're therapists. You yeah. know, they're like <laughs> weird stuff. I want you to listen and to this. And he was awesome, the by the fugue
0: way. Fugue by Bach.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no. And so I said, okay. I was trying to be real diligent with, you know what? I don't care. I'll do assignments. You know? Yeah. So I did it. And he goes, I want you to listen to this lyric from the point of view of what we've been talking about. And when I heard it from that point of view, it shocked me mm-hmm. because it was literally what I was going through in my life. And Bono had either gone through that or understood that the dynamic of relationship. Um, I think this had to do with their band, possibly, you know? Yes, mm-hmm. it did. Which is probably in your notes. But for me, you could draw lines of similarity into any relationship. A band, as we know as band guys, is a marriage, especially yeah. a touring band. You live on the tour bus, you stink up the tour bus, you, yeah. you, all that. They were going through that. But in this, as I meditated on the lyric of that song, gave oh. me... <laughs> oh. <laughs> gave me peace to understand relationship yeah. and to understand the unfair parts of giving and giving to the point of being taken advantage of i don't want to go too far into that but it shook my world and this was recent yeah so for me when i heard it i was like oh my gosh this was a right assignment for me to listen to Mm -hmm. so that has a dual meaning and i say dual meaning because it meant something to me as a teenage boy and then now as a grown man looking back at the relationship so there's something true about the lyric like true in truth, about the lyric that holds water that we could meditate on tomorrow and go, yeah. wow, okay, I can gain something from this. Right. Not to mention the melody and the songwriting and craft. Yeah, and all yeah. That is, is...
2: It's funny how your story mirrors the story of the song because the band was on the verge of breaking up, and working on this song in the studio brought them back together.
0: Yeah, they went over to Berlin trying to find some inspiration and rebirth while the wall was falling and all the change was going on.
2: The wall coming down.
0: They were in Berlin, which is the east and west where the wall was, but it didn't go to plan and stupid stuff started happening. Like they went to go to this rally that was happening and like, yay, let's go get all inspired. And every day it was super angry. Like what's going on? And those are people who wanted the wall stay up. <laughs> <laughs>
1: they were fighting the wrong side. <laughs> like,
0: oh wait, wait, we're in the wrong group here, guys. We're in the wrong group. But then they started fighting, and the only song that came out of like fully
1: complete out of Berlin was this song. Question: one. Was this because the the bass player um, Clayton is that yeah, his name? Adam Clayton. Yeah. Adam Clayton. He's not a believer. Right, he's the only right. one. And the other guys are yes. And was this a a clash of that as well? Was that infused into this time?
0: I think that was earlier. I think yeah. in October, the album October, when they almost broke up. I know that Bono was having issues, but Edge almost left the band because he didn't wanna play secular music and he didn't see how that would be glorifying the God. And he had this whole big thing he was trying to figure out Which is amazing
2: for a lot of people probably listening to this podcast. (laughs) And Adam Clayton was on the other side of the coin.
0: And he was like, I don't know if I want to be in a band with these guys.
2: Because I want to live the rock
1: and roll lifestyle. I want to
0: sleep around. I want to go have drugs. I want to go party
1: and do all that stuff. Now, you know that you too, in the 80s, went to Nashville to get a Christian record deal. What? And they were like, you need to sound like whatever the contemporary... Pat Boone. <laughs> yeah, well, no, there was 80s, there was Carmen, yeah, yeah, there was yeah, yeah. DeGarmo and Key, there was yeah. Keith Green, and they are like, no, hell no, we're not doing it. You're behind, we're ahead of everything. In, in the sense of a progressive music, why would we go backwards? I'm filling in a lot of blanks here, but I'm saying that that happened, and they said, screw that, no, we're gonna just go do it anyway. And I really believe that was amazing. Saying no to an, quote, industry, a Christian music industry, right. we're not playing that. We're yeah. going to go do what we know we're supposed to do. If you don't want to take this because it's doesn't fit in your little realm, sure. we're going on, yeah. you know? And then think what happened 20 years later, the Christian music industry just like worships them, <laughs> you know? And then... It's amazing how that works. People in the band are Christians.
2: One of them isn't. They don't want to call themselves a Christian band because that's going to put limits on them. They want to do what they're going to do without any kind of labels or limits put on them. And I think they're pretty successful at that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, And I mean, they didn't necessarily live a holy Christian lifestyle. Even the Christians in the band. I mean, Edge talks about taking mushrooms and.
1: Yeah. I haven't either. Yeah. So it's. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Neither is Rob. I'm just going to say that.
3: Have you ever been thrown under the bus?
1: <laughs> well, I mean, sure. I haven't witnessed it, but I'm just guessing. <laughs> Who knows? No, but Who I knows? think I've, that, I've been always good. Hey, I, I will <laughs> tell you what. I'll tell you what. The convictions that ran deep with them yeah. are still evident. Yeah. You know? So good for them. They ran their race. They're still running it, apparently. Absolutely. Alan, you got anything?
2: This is a beautiful song on multiple levels. And one of those levels is the bass. Adam Clayton comes up with a really tasty melodic bass line. He weaves these bass melodies through the song. It's exactly what the song needs. In my opinion, as someone who plays that instrument, his bass sensibilities are right on. Edge's guitar riffs are really tasty. The opening riff especially just grabs you and just pulls you in right from the start. Bono's vocal melody and especially the ad libbing that he does at the end, high up in his range.
0: And it has a nice reverb to his voice Beautiful. in this song. Yeah,
2: yeah. There are just layers and layers of great melody in this song. And then like I said before, this song contributed to, you know, the, the reunification of the band. And you can kind of see why. There's a lot of emotion in this song, both in the music and the lyrics. One of their best songs, absolutely no yeah, doubt. Yeah, and
0: they, this isn't really them as a four-piece. This is them as a six-piece, really, because Brian Eno played the keys on mm-hmm. this track, and Daniel Lenoir
2: Daniel Lenoir. Yeah.
0: played some guitar on this as well.
1: He's played in L.A. a few times, and yeah. they
2: contribute to background vocals on some of the on some of YouTube stuff too.
0: Yeah, it's fantastic stuff. Let's listen to our number three overall one great tune.
3: Did I see-
0: All right, that was number three, one great tune. Which means there's two left. Two left.
2: I know which ones they are, too.
0: (laughs) It's probably pretty obvious at this point, but you never know. Maybe people don't know. This is our number two. This is on everybody's list. This was my number two. Alan's number seven and Steve's number four off of the Joshua Tree, where the streets have no name. The keys and the ambience in the beginning works with that guitar ramp up coming in even though it's 40 seconds into the song and then it continues to ramp to like 108 when everybody comes in but the anticipation really works in this and and, and U2 is like one of those bands that can pull that off like sometimes I think it's overindulgent but this one kind of rolls and it's so good the rhythm section is so tight in the first verse and the edge he even contributes to that with his little chugga 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 thing he does palm mute, yeah. and just he's pretty much playing percussion totally yeah i love the way the song builds layers and multiple layering on guitar and the vocal melody as it moves into the end of the chorus and how the vocals lift into that higher register which is i always love uh there's several theories about the song it could be about heaven, where streets have no names. Oh yeah,
1: of course, that's what it is. It could be about (laughs) Ethiopia,
0: since the streets really don't have names, they just have numbers. But truly, this is what Bono says, it's really about Ireland. Because the cities are divided by class and religion, so if you know where a person lives, you can tell all of that stuff. And he wanted to talk about where the streets have no name. So all these people can come together in one place without anybody knowing what street they're from.
2: I like to okay. have an explanation.
0: So. I, you
1: know what? In my mind, that's this is a perfect example of me having what's in my mind when I hear it that i don't want anyone else to mess with including bono exactly <laughs> <laughs> you
3: know
1: it's, and, like, and bono it's has not yours anymore
2: <laughs> bono has a habit when he comments on his lyrics after the fact of steering you away from what the right. lyrics
1: obviously that's, say that's the punk rock that's
0: the punk rock <laughs> seeping out but it comes to that fact like we talked before no matter where you are in life you can take this and still find it m- meaningful to you yeah you know i'll back off a little bit and then i'll come back if if some things aren't talk- talked about.
2: Well, I just wanted to comment about the, the long, long intro of this song mm-hmm. just works its way in. Drums and bass come in at one minute, nine seconds. Yep. Vocals don't come in until one minute, 46 seconds. You can't get away with that stuff these days in a song. That yeah. really, you know.
1: I think it's very anthemy, yeah. if, you know, like, like what you would do in a live show. Right. You start it, the crowd recognizes it and they scream for 42 seconds and then you're just milking it. (laughs) You're you're building it, milking it,
2: building it. So it's very
1: stadium rock and I feel it's very connected. Like the first four songs of this album are so connected and woven together. It's a special, special little thing. And that's one of the
2: things about the rhythm section of Adam Clayton and Larry Mullen Jr. Their musicianship works in a stadium setting, which you can't say about a lot of bands. But to me, what really stands out through this song is Edge's
1: guitar. Yeah, I agree.
2: The echo settings he's using, the repeat makes his guitar sound bigger, or it sound doubled or tripled. And it creates this kind of rotating, repeating arpeggio loop that sounds like it couldn't possibly just be one guitar. And I think it was Jimmy Page who called Edge a sonic architect. Which is a perfect term for him, the way he constructs these soundscapes and gets the different textures and things.
1: It's interesting. It works in a stadium. It just feels like a worship. Meaning, when you say worship, you could go to a Queen concert back in the day, and that's worship. Yeah, you're not worshiping God, but anything you hold your hands up and sing along
0: to is worship of some sort. It's just who you're worshiping and what you're worshiping. Yeah.
1: In a way, everything's worship music. In that context of of the big stadium and what Edge was playing and his convictions, well, I don't want to play secular music. I don't want to give myself over to that. I want to still honor God with what I do. It's interesting how that has carried over into modern church or modern worship music. For us not to say that would not be telling the truth. You know what I mean? Would be leaving that out. And Adam
2: Clayton's bass playing translates into that perfectly too, because he knows when to play and when not to play and what to play and what not to play. And just for a bass player, that is crucial.
0: And they ripped off the Beatles in this, in the video, that is. <laughs> they were on the roof or yeah, something? Yeah, they played on the rooftop. The Republic liquor store on 7th and Main in L.A. In How L.A. Huh? Random yeah. and yeah. badass and punk yeah. rock. Yeah, they just played it up and it was. It, but it was the same, the same thing. The video was great, yeah. It was the same
2: thing with the Beatles in London. The cops are standing around scratching their heads going, what are we going to do about this? Well, the really Rolling Stones did it in New York. They set up on a flatbed truck and I drove around that, yeah. the city.
0: I didn't remember seeing that. Was it the Macy's
1: Thanksgiving Parade? <laughs> I, think it, I think it was.
0: Yeah, they were right next to the big turkey. And, and they, they were, they were, the turkey was in front and Santa was in the back. Yeah, <laughs> been there. <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting that uh, Brian Eno said 40% of the time spent on the Joshua Tree was spent on this it. song. Yeah. And he was physically restrained from trying to destroy the track after they spent like weeks and weeks on it and he's like the way that we would have to piece this together is just so insane that if we start over it'll be quicker that was thought but literally the assistant engineer jumped him and held him back from hitting the re-record button he was going to record over the whole track and say kind of stage an accident Right. So then they would have to start from scratch. Okay, just
1: just a little side note.
2: Stephen Petrie wouldn't do that.
1: No, but I will tell you a side note. For those of you that don't know Brian Eno, B-R-I-A-N-E-N-O, go on YouTube, go on Apple, wherever you listen to digital music, type it in and listen to this guy. So this guy was in charge of the ambient side of many bands not just U2 there are a lot of bands will call and they're like hey Brian Eno can you come in and do whatever you do to make this record have atmosphere right he's an atmosphere king it's almost like he can paint with colors with music and you can even look up a discography of who else he's come in to add that special atmosphere to the band
0: And and when Brian Eno first met with U2 to try and talk about coming on as producer, he was coming to the session to tell them that he didn't want to do it. And after speaking to Bono and the Edge, they inspired him that these guys were really into it, and they changed his mind at that session. And then he signed on. Yeah. He was just so inspired by where they were coming from. He's
1: a perfect fit for you two with, you know, drum, bass, guitar, and
2: the way Edge plays guitar, and, yeah, and
1: then filling in the things in the cracks. But he, he was doing, he does some things with keyboards that are just special, you know?
0: Yeah, definitely. All right, let's listen to number two, Where the Streets Have No Name, off of the Joshua Tree. Okay, that was number two. Number two. Yeah, the streets have no name.
2: Where the streets have no.
0: <laughs> this is Casey Kasem. Uh, this
2: one three goes
0: three out three. to a. This one goes out to a little girl in Iowa.
2: Number one, the streets will have names.
0: <laughs> oh. <laughs> yes. Uh, number one song of all time is "Bad" off of the Unforgettable Fire. I'm just kidding.
3: What?
2: I, like, I thought you were going to say bad Michael
0: Jackson. Uh, no, wow. i just kidding. No, the number one song is I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For off yeah, the Joshua I'm tree. i this. I'm in. This is my number one, Alan's number two, and Steve's number three. Yep. It always amazes me how the edge has that mastery of delays and effects. I always read the lyrics as God searching for you, right? But you still haven't found what you're looking for. I read the verse as God's point of view. I don't know if that's what most people do, but that's how I read it.
2: That's interesting.
0: And then the third verse is different. The third verse is somebody searching for God, but I think the chorus is that person who he's trying to to say, "Listen to me, you know, I'm, you need to follow God." And he's in that chorus saying, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. But uh, since this is so high for everybody, I'll, I'll let Alan go and we'll kind of roll in this one and we'll make this rotational so I don't take everything.
2: Uh, well, let me talk about the spiritual side of it first. There's an obvious spiritual theme to lyrics, which on the surface sounds like an affirmation of Bono's uh, Christian faith. But in an interview with Rolling Stone, Magazine, Bono said that the song was an anthem of doubt more than faith. Yes. Which apparently explains the title of the song. So even though he sounds secure in his faith, he's, he's not content. And there's a line in the song, With or Without You, where he says, you gave it all, but I want more, which sounds as if it could have been a line in this song. There's a pause for a short instrumental section the ringy, chimey guitar tone Edge has going on in the song is just so tasty. And also the thumpy bass line, which goes through the whole song, bump, bump, yeah. it just plants the groove in your head and it sticks there. It's somewhat repetitive, but it's the pulse of the song, so it doesn't get old. This is one of Bono's more impassioned vocal performances. And I got to say, his singing in the recording studio is pretty much always spot on because in the studio you have time to get things right. But if you've heard his stuff live, it's it's just as good.
1: Yeah. Hey, man. Usually when I come and do these, I talk about the music. Yeah, yeah. I talk about how the bass and the drum thick. It's interesting that my approach is different. I identify with having received the good news, if you will. There's something that's still missing. I want to keep going, basically. Yeah. yeah. I identify with this song in that way. So production-wise is secondary, which is kind, maybe like a first for me, mm-hmm. but the lyric and the spiritual nature of searching for the kingdom of God and and going, okay, I've been told this, I believe it, but where is it? Yeah, yeah, I get it. Right? How does it suss out? How does it translate? Uh, how do I see it more? I want to see more. Yeah. It's like John the Baptist saying, <clears throat> hey, go give a message to Jesus. Is he the one... Or are we uh, expecting someone else? Yeah. Jesus said, we'll go back and tell John mm-hmm. what you see. The eyes are open, the, the sick are healed and all mm-hmm. these things. That's the spirit I think that I get from this song of especially wanting to see more of yearning for heaven or yearning for the kingdom yeah. come.
2: But for me, Bono sings the conclusion by saying you broke the bonds, you loosed the chains, you carried the cross and all my shame, which to me, Speaks to salvation and just lays it all out there. And that's why this song is number two on my list because of the the spiritual
1: exhortation in there. Yeah, and being unashamed to put it in a rock song. Exactly. And I
0: think we could be both wrong. All of us can be wrong, really, on this. Do uh, not bring because, us down right now, because, Rob. Because The Edge <laughs> was on Conan O'Brien. He did a skit called The Year 2000 with them and I'm gonna play a little of that
1: Edge okay I'll, okay, I'll, I'll okay, judge okay, later okay, okay let's listen here we go <laughs> this better be good Ed yeah. I think we should get serious we should reflect I think it's time We're ladies Asian and gentlemen
3: food. we look Asian. into the future
1: <laughs> <laughs> what year? the future uh, I don't
0: know <laughs> probably yeah, right that's good. right you choose she the edge of the net? future what all the way
3: to the year 2000 what is that thing around
0: they, they put this thing on when they, in the year
3: 2000, like, 2005. Oh, I remember
2: this.
1: I saw this. Is that La Bamba? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he came to the studio. and I, I, I saw. I saw him on that
3: thing. Industrial Lucite will replace Crystal as the most common stripper name. <laughs>
0: is um, related to Bono. and I still haven't found what I'm looking for. You
1: two will become very self-destructive and replace Bono with a far less reliable singer Bonaducci. <laughs> you two will reveal that we wrote the song I still haven't found what I'm looking for after we went to four supermarkets looking for Boo Berry cereal. <laughs> Too, will reluctantly admit that the original title for our album Actum
3: Baby was in fact Oive Mama. <laughs> <laughs> Bono will catch Mono from Melissa Milano. <laughs> the edge will clip a
1: hedge for Sister Sledge. Adam Clayton will worship Satan in Dayton. And Larry Mullen Jr. will be impossible to rhyme with. <laughs> TV is not near
3: where this stuff is. The Edge will admit that he wears a knitted cap to take the attention off Bono's crap sunglasses. (laughs) Yeah. The Edge will admit that the reason he wears knit caps is to cover the forehead tattoo that says, I... Heart, Urkel.
1: That's awesome. That is really good. Yeah, that's a lot of fun. Well, I
3: think it's 2000.
1: Lavamba, <laughs> La I know Lavamba. Yeah, he, he came to the studio and we recorded Asian Conan. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Steve was on, uh, kind of
0: Conan you your Coco, whatever. So,
1: Stephen Ho okay. was the the stunt guy that would beat Conan mm. up. And he we played at his house party. And then he wanted to come and do a parody thing with Asian Conan when there, the war was going on. Because he was supposed to take over the Tonight Show. So, that yeah, whole that whole yeah, battle. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Years ago, kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what are we on number one was that, number yeah, that was number one? One. oh wait i gotta get my note i okay. want to say one thing can sure. i say something cool you can say All one right, thing so a few years ago i got invited to a little house in laciononada maybe okay. yeah okay which is in california people yeah. off of the 210 the 210 good call
3: Alex I <laughs> get the San Vicente, take it to the 10, then switch over to the 405 North and let it dump you out into Mulholland where you belong.
0: The
2: california
0: Well, you don't have to say that because this isn't the opposite of the Californians. Well, you take the the 210 to the 10
1: to the 10 to the 10 to the 5 to the 5 to the the 170. then
2: you pull over and ask the guy, where the hell am I?
1: Right. So I I think I remember the guy's name, actually. Um, David Ruiz. R-U-I-S. We got invited to his house. And it was a select group of people that I didn't know and I don't know how I got invited, but we get we did. So my buddy and I, Dwayne and I, yeah. uh, we went and drove there. And Dwayne was in what band? Dwayne so- Laring was he played for Kelly Clarkson, Sonic Flood, Lauren Dangle is the most recent yeah, okay. so, producer, Matt yeah. Redman, Tim Hughes, all yeah. the worship guys. Yeah. Great guitar player. We went together and you too was in town playing the Rose Bowl. Okay. there quote, spiritual advisor came to this little house. Oh, cool. And I recorded on my phone because I thought it was history. Like I was invited. There were probably 35 people in the room. Okay. And I just put my phone on the coffee table or on the nightstand or whatever it was in the living room. And illegally recorded everybody. Oh yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. But we did like a worship set. Like, oh, yeah. like okay. someone played the piano we all sang and this guy came out and he was this old guy, he was old and he just started talking to us about you two and about the history of you two, where they came from. He was their teacher in grade school. Oh, wow. And he led them to the Lord. Oh, wow. And he talked about it, about how he knew them as teenagers and then they grow up and they do their thing and they stay in contact with this man that led them to the mm-hmm. Lord and he was now their, quote, spiritual advisor, which he would just say their pastor. But because of the all the crew members on tour that weren't saved, that was offensive or could be or whatever. Yeah. So they would just say spiritual advisor, which was more... Yeah. Uh, politically correct sure, sure. or whatever it was called. It's not offensive to anyone. No, uh, well, to to people that hate God, that might be like, "Why the hell is this guy on tour when we're True. we're in the rock True. we're in the rock business?" You know, f you. You know, they were sensitive to people not being yeah. And some listeners maybe that way right. too. Yeah. So with listening to him talk, and he talked about their childhood and about how they grew up and how they asked him to come on the road with him to keep them in check or grounded or, you know, all those things. You hear rock stories. You hear people dying on the road, you know, because it's tough being on the road. Right. I mean, you see what happened last week with the Foo Fighters, right? Correct. So, this guy would come to these huge stadiums and he said the band was setting up and whatever and he would literally walk the stadium and just pray over every seat in the stadium. Oh my gosh, really? And then... (laughs) Um, he would go, and and the band would ask him to stay to say a a blessing, not a prayer, but a blessing over the tour or over that night. Sure. And he said that all the people were engaged, like they were like, "Yeah, say a blessing." And he would pray over that night. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Let's just play a clip
0: now of just a little taste yeah. of that. Okay.
3: Every now and again, I pronounce blessings. In fact, I I bless every night. I mean, I I walk every venue. And I prayer walk.
0: I just walk, and I invite the Holy Spirit to come on the band, on the
3: security guys, on the backliners, on the um, sound people, lighting people, video people, security people, everybody. And particularly on the people who come.
1: That was awesome. That was good. Yeah. (laughs) So, no, I think that's a cool story, and it adds up. To how important it is to the guys to stay yeah. grounded, to stay focused, you know, all that stuff. So I, I really appreciate that.
2: And Does it's that interesting make? that in their first video for I Will Follow, they're doing what they do confidently and they're not worried about anything. They're just putting it out there. They know where they're going musically. Right. And they But
0: they don't know where they've been. They're hanging on the Promises and
2: Songs
1: yesterday. And they're still looking for... <laughs>
0: That <laughs> you
1: should tack that, on to,
2: tack that on to the thing at the beginning, Rob. But that comes through in their first video. We're here and we're here to to stay. And you and g- this can't one, this you can't ignore us or we'll be And this video
0: us. is actually kind of good too. We're back on I still haven't found what I'm looking for where they're, in, they're walking through the streets of Vegas, right. and it's really kind of cool to yeah. see how they react with the people on the street. I'm sure some of it's staged, but I'm sure some of it's not, too, right. by the way they're interacting with people. Didn't Edge have a they're guitar, yeah. too? Like, yeah. Was it a Dobro, or was it a guitar? I think Every it was a regular g- guitar. guitar, yeah. It was, you know, it's for a video shoot, so right. they had the camera. Yeah, they could play, they, play yeah, whatever yeah, guitar they would. <laughs> they had whatever, yeah. I'm sure everybody was staged, but it looked good. <laughs> anyway, let's listen to the best song ever by U2. I still haven't found what i'm looking for off of the joshua tree let's take a listen these city walls,
3: these city walls, to
0: you, okay that was the number one song i still haven't found what I'm looking for off of the Joshua Tree. Now it's the time we're going to continue. Maybe there's a song that you still love that we didn't talk about. There's a chance that we'll talk about it here. Can't promise anything because there's not a lot here, but there's still extra songs and we're going to talk, each of us have a chance to talk about one song briefly. Let's start with Alan. You have three songs that missed the cut. I Will Follow, your number 10, off of Boy. Your number 11, Trip Through the Wires, off of Joshua Tree. And number 12, Gloria off of October. Which would you like to talk about?
2: Uh, Trip Through Your Wires from okay. Joshua Tree. I love the live sounding echoey, cheery ambiance of the song. And a big part of that is an instrument called an omnicord, which producer Daniel Lenoir plays in the song. He says, I plugged it into Edge's gear his echo devices and his whole amplification system it produces this beautiful bell-like sound like an organ and you can hear that organ-like sound all through the song it's very musical it gives the song this kind of upbeat happy feel to it and it just it lifts the song bono's harmonica work is just stellar um the title comes from the term tripwire which in a military context, refers to a hidden wire that sets off some kind of booby trap when you unknowingly walk into it. So he's saying in the lyrics that the woman he's singing about has all these trip wires set up to trap him, and he's stumbling into all of them, which I think most guys can relate to.
0: Yeah, no, it's good. Uh, let's take a listen to Alan's Mystic Trip Through Your Wires. All right, Steve, you had two songs that missed the cut. You had your number eight, Who's Gonna Ride Your Wild Horses? off of Octung Baby. And you had your number 12, Bullet in the Blue Sky off of The Joshua Tree. I'm gonna go with number 12. That was actually also on my list. That was my number eight, but continue.
1: Okay, um, Who's Gonna Ride Your Wild Horses? was really good, you guys should go listen to it. Very melancholy, but very good and very emotional. Bullet Blue Sky to me, is it the fourth song on Joshua Tree? I just remember hearing it in conjunction with the top two or three that we have today. It's the fourth and song. And the you're drums, right. when they come in, it's awesome. The punk rock element to this song, the darkness of this song, the pushback. Now, I've read through the history of where it came from, which helped me maybe a little, just, you know of focusing in but for me this is one of those songs where i do concentrate more on the production more on the drums more on what the vocal is doing which is angsty and hardcore and gritty and dirty and i and yeah. then i've always loved it, yeah. this song for that i would rip these drums in a heartbeat and put on a song
0: yeah no it's fantastic so let's listen to bullet the blue sky off of the joshua tree That was uh, Steve's Mister Cut. Now that's also on my the Cut, which was my number eight. And the other one, which I'll talk about here, is "Until the Edge of the World" off of Octung Baby. Yeah, good one. Which was my number seven. And it's all about Judas in a biblical setting, and they have some uh, imagery with uh, the Garden of Eden and stuff. And I remember seeing this uh, Jeff Chandler, who was. You know, who played around before you? They did a whole cut up on this on Good Friday, and it was probably the most amazing thing I've ever seen. And you, were you playing? Yeah, I did. Yeah. And was it this song? This song, and they had a whole video to go with it that was manually cut
2: by Jeff. Scenes from the Passion, of, Passion the Christ. of Christ.
0: And oh my gosh, it was so moving. And every time I hear this, it's just moving. Anyway, obviously it's Judas talking to. Jesus is really what the songs are really right, about right. for most of it. Just the sound of it, the pulsing rhythms, the African sort of beat, the emotion, even in just the percussion. It's amazing. He starts with a capo on the third fret, it allows him to use the capo to extend the spread of his fingers. The way he does it, it's, it's pretty amazing. But anyway, the power, the passion, the visceral energy of this tune. With the heaviness, and it's a hard song. Yeah. The emotion of it always stood out to me, which kind of made it just as one of the songs by you two that I always love. It's you ever have a song you just love, and there's not yeah. have a billion reasons why, but it's great. They talked about it, and it might get loud. They did a couple things, just fantastic. It was never released as a single, but. They still play it almost every yeah. concert.
2: Just real quickly, I did, I did play in that, with the, that Good Friday service you're talking about. We decided to do that song like the day before. I didn't have enough time to learn Adam Clayton's bass line. So rather than trying to duplicate what he played, I tried to be him. I listened to him play. I listened to YouTube exclusively for like a day so that I could put myself in Adam Clayton's mindset. Mm-hmm. That's the first time I've ever had to do that and it worked out perfectly. And we pulled it off, it worked out That was great, yeah, it was, great. Really it was well.
0: one of the best, yeah, it was fantastic. It's one
2: of the most memorable times I've ever had on stage. Yeah.
0: So anyway, let's listen to My Mystic Cut until the end of the world off of Akhtung Baby. Okay, that was my Mr. Cut. Until the end of the world. Now, let's be kind and rewind.
1: Whoa, I like <laughs> Hey,
0: let me just remind you of what our dirty dozen was. Number 12 was Walk On. Number 11, Mysterious Ways. Number 10, Desire. Number 9, Vertigo. Number 8, New Year's Day. Number 7, Pride in the Name of Love. Number six, Sunday Bloody Sunday. Number five, Beautiful Day. Number four, With or Without You. Number three, one. Number two, Where the Streets Have No Name. And the number one song by U2 is I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. Gentlemen, thank you. This has been so much fun. It's been great.
1: Great. Good job. Uh, Yeah. Loved it. Thanks for the
0: thanks for the invite yeah i love you guys every time you come it's great and we had this conversation earlier i want to share it with everybody But well, what do you guys think do you think at the end of this i'm just i just kind of popped me because we're doing U2. you too want, you want me to see if we can play uh 40 ours our version yeah at the end you do me, a shout out yeah just play the whole thing at the end
1: yeah or something like that yeah. i think we should okay i'll play it. Okay. let's do it live well, uh, <laughs> no, let's know. <note. laughs> <laughs> I can get my guitar going. Then, I, we be, mixes, uh, then we got mixes. Then we got.
0: I've added. You need a drummer. I, it is what it is. Well, <laughs> I think it's cool. I think we can we can mention that it's Steve singing, Alan on bass, Jake's on drums. Yeah, uh, you know, I think it's, it's great. A, it's perfect. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we should, <laughs> we should do it. And I think Jason's on keyboards as well. So. It's the whole crew together. I think you guys will enjoy it. Let's just play it now, and then I'll wrap it up when we're done. Here we go. FYI, you can stream that on Spotify. It's the name of the band is North Park Mission and the name of the album is First Songs and that's on there. It's called Psalm 40. There you go. Anyway, thank you everybody who's been listening to this podcast at this point as well. I love you guys and totally uh, so excited for all the bands that you guys picked for the year and all this wonderful stuff that's coming down the pipe. In uh, two weeks, we're going to be doing The Police, Ooh, which wow. is always fantastic. Yeah, there's just so much going on. I just wanted to thank you again.
3: I will see you in two weeks. God bless. Rock and roll. Amen.